At our eternal peril, we choose to ignore the thunder and tenor of Mary's song, its revolutionary beat. Those are the words of poet Thomas John Carlyle, writing about the passage that we'll be reading this morning. This is Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. For many, this passage is known as the Magnificat. Some simply refer to it as the Song of Mary. But regardless of what you call the passage, what's most important are the words. Mary sings because God is doing something wonderful, something breathtaking, something that will change everything. Mary sings because she recognizes the thunder of this announcement. And I pray that we'll recognize the thunder of this announcement as well. Let's pray and then we'll get into our sermon this morning. Father, thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you that we have the privilege of opening your word, that we have the privilege of gathering together on Christmas Day, the day to commemorate the birth of your son, where we celebrate the incarnation. Thank you that your son came into this world, that your son entered into our pain, entered into our harm, entered into our hurt, and took our sin upon himself. Father, I pray that you would watch over us this morning. Help us be attentive to your word, to be attentive to what it is that you have to say to us. And I pray that you be with us as we leave here. Again, as we go and see family, go and see friends, many of us, go and spend time to ourselves, whatever it is that Christmas consists of. But I pray that we would also accept the challenge that your son issues to us that we talked about last night, that we would be beautiful feet that bring good news to those we encounter today and far into the future as well. But be with us this morning as we look at this passage. Help us to look at Mary's song and also discover the reason that we have to sing as well. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Feel free to use the Bibles that we provide if you don't own one and take a Bible home with you if you don't own one. Now, our story begins this morning with an unassuming young woman, likely in her teenage years, living in Nazareth, which is a town that, to be honest, nobody really cares much about. And Mary is betrothed to a man named Joseph. Joseph is a descendant of David, which is nice, but other than that, he's just another average guy, just another average Joseph. But I wouldn't dare make that joke in a sermon. And Mary and Joseph's betrothal means that they're not quite married yet, but they're also a lot more than what we would call engaged. But then this very normal woman, Mary, living in the very normal town of Nazareth, betrothed to a very normal man, receives a very abnormal message, carried by none other than the angel Gabriel himself. And in the Bible, when you're encountered by Gabriel, you better pay attention because the announcement is something important. We see the announcement in Luke chapter one, starting in verse 28. Gabriel says to Mary, "O favored one, the Lord is with you. It must be nice for Mary to know that she is favored by God, that God is gracious to her. Because what Mary is about to encounter is a challenge that she or anybody else has never had to deal with in all of human history. There will be whispers about Mary's pregnancy. 
when she insists that she's still a virgin, but that the baby's not Joseph's, people are going to look at her like she's crazy. It's a scandalous situation. Rumors are going to fly. Mary is going to be judged. But maybe she thinks back to these words from Gabriel. O favored one of God. Gabriel continues in verse 30. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. If there's one part of Gabriel's announcement that is very clear, it's this. Mary is going to have a baby. But things start getting weird when Gabriel explains where this baby will come from. He's not going to come from Joseph after the wedding. This baby is coming from the Holy Spirit right now while Mary is still a virgin. And this will not be any normal baby. He is the long-awaited king of Israel, reigning forever, just like God promised David in the Old Testament. There's a passage in 2 Samuel 7 where David has secured his kingdom. The enemies have been defeated, things are stable, and David sets his sight on his next goal, which is to build God a temple. But then one night, David receives a message from Nathan that God doesn't want David to build him a temple. Instead, David's son, Solomon, will build him a temple. But then God gives David a promise that he is going to build something for David far greater than David could ever build for him. God is going to give him a family line. And from his family line, one of his offspring will reign forever, will be God's very son. That's the promise that David received in 2 Samuel 7. And it's the promise that is being fulfilled with this message to Mary. But Mary hears other exciting news as well. Her relative Elizabeth is also going to have a miraculous baby. But to be totally honest, Elizabeth's baby, while still very important, he's not really the big news. The announcement of Mary's baby is what's so thunderous. Now put yourself in Mary's shoes. What in the world do you say to something like this? How on earth can you possibly respond to Gabriel when you've been given, on the one hand, such a great blessing, but then on the other hand, such a great responsibility? How do you possibly respond to that? Well, look at what Mary says in Luke chapter 1, verse 38. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. It's a beautiful response. You think about other stories in the Bible where God calls people to somewhat unexpected and very overwhelming tasks. Think about Moses. When God called him to lead the Israelites out of Israel, how did Moses respond? He responded with questions. He responded with second thoughts. He responded with doubts. He had excuse after excuse after excuse as to why God picked the wrong guy. But compare that to Mary's response. I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. 
I pray that Mary's response, that we would echo it when God calls us to unexpected and perhaps even overwhelming tasks. That when we face challenges given to us by God himself, perhaps, we would respond in the same way. I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, as the story progresses, Mary visits Elizabeth, and the significance of Mary's child becomes that much more clear. The baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy when Mary enters the room. Elizabeth herself refers to Mary's baby as Lord. That seems a little reversed. But it's at this moment, when she walks into Elizabeth's home, that Mary responds with humble wonder. And it's at this moment when Mary begins to sing. And that's where we are today. Luke 1, 46. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. You know, Mary is not the first person in the Bible to sing after hearing of God's miraculous works. Moses and Miriam sing in Exodus chapter 15 after God parts the Red Sea, leading the Israelites from Egypt. Deborah and Barak sing in Judges chapter 5 after God delivers his people from the Canaanites. But perhaps the closest parallel to Mary's situation is 1 Samuel 2. In that passage, after years of barrenness, God answers Hannah's prayer for a baby. And Hannah responds by singing. That baby that Hannah would bear, he would become the prophet Samuel. The prophet Samuel would be the one to anoint King David. And the baby that Mary carries in her womb will be the descendant of David, sitting on David's throne forever. You know, there are some things that are worth singing about, aren't there? One of those things is God. And that's exactly what Mary is doing here. Through her singing, Mary is worshiping God. She's worshiping God for looking down on her humble estate, blessing her in the sight of all generations. Think about that. Mary knows that in this moment, with this promise, with this calling that God has given her, her name will go down in the history books. On the one hand, that's intimidating. But on the other hand, Mary says that's a humbling blessing. Mary worships God because God is doing mighty things both for her but also doing mighty things through her. And God, of course, is always showing mercy. One theologian put it this way. Mary considers herself blessed not because she is pregnant, not because of her own holiness or merit, but because God's purposes for salvation 
are being accomplished through her. Mary is content to simply be a servant of the Lord and let it be according to his word. I pray the same would be true of us. But Mary sings not just out of worship for God himself, but Mary sings because God is turning this world upside down through the birth of Jesus, or maybe, rather, right side up. You see, when you think about it, our sin is kind of what turned the world upside down. And here God is riding the ship. And by the strength of his arm, God is changing everything we thought we knew through the birth of Jesus. The same way Jesus preaches in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, Jesus preaches that blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are hungry. Blessed are you who are persecuted. It sounds strange. sounds weird for Jesus to say things like that. But the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Now, to someone like Mary, this reversal, this turning the world right side up, to someone like Mary, that sounds like good news. Average woman, average town, average husband. But to someone like Herod, the wicked foe ruler of God's people, the one who is greedy, the one who is paranoid, doesn't sound like good news to him. And then Mary sings because she knows that God is faithful to his promises. Abraham, Moses, David, all of them were looking forward to this very moment. Because this moment assures once and for all that God has not and God will not abandon his people, even if that costs the death of his own son. You know, I think that idea of God's faithfulness is more revolutionary in our day and age, and we give it credit for. I mean, you think about our world where words are often not kept, where promises are often broken, where commitments are often abandoned. But God's not like that. God does what he says he will do. God fulfills his promises. God comes through with his commitments. And all over Scripture... There are passages that sound a lot like this passage, the Magnificat. And I don't think that's an accident. In Psalm 136, we see a recounting of all of God's deeds to his people in the past. Psalm 136 mentions his creation of the world, his deliverance of his people from Egypt, his sustaining them in the wilderness, even through their own rebellion, and his giving them the promised land. But then at the end of Psalm 136, we read this. It is he who remembered us in our low estate for his steadfast love endures forever. Sounds like Mary. Humble estate, low estate for his steadfast love endures forever. He rescued us from our foes for his steadfast love endures forever. Who gives food to all flesh for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, to be honest, Mary probably didn't understand a whole lot of what would happen next in the life of her baby. Really, all she could do was what she said to Gabriel. Give herself to God as his servant and let him use her as he saw fit, come what may. And of course... 
she could also sing. She could worship. And while we can learn a lot from Mary, the truth is that Mary's not the real hero of the story. Again, she's simply a tool in God's hand, willing to be used in his most thunderous work. And unlike Mary, we actually do understand the thunderous works that God had in store for this miraculous baby down the road. Author Dorothy Sayers puts it this way, talking about the Christian story. It's the tale of the time when God was the underdog and got beaten. When he submitted to the conditions he had laid down and became a man like the men he had made. And the men he had made broke him and killed him. Is this the dogma we find so dull? This terrifying drama of which God is the victim and the hero? If this is dull... What in heaven's name is worthy to be called exciting? This is not dull, the story that we gather together to hear. This is a story that is thunderous. This should excite us. It should excite us to the point of singing the way Mary sang. We sing because we know that Jesus' birth would give way to his earthly ministry. And his ministry would lead to his crucifixion. And after his crucifixion, of course, would come his resurrection. And after his resurrection, his ascension. And we wait patiently because one day he will return. Because we know the whole story of what God did through Mary's son, through his son. We, too, have reason to sing, even on Christmas morning. We sing songs of joy, songs of peace, songs of forgiveness, songs of reconciliation, songs of deliverance, and songs of hope. We sing these songs not because we're so great, not because the world is so great. We sing these songs because God didn't just look down on Mary's low estate. He looked down on ours as sinners in need of a Lord in need of a Savior. And he provided that Lord and provided that Savior in the most unexpected of places. Living in a normal town to a normal woman, a normal man. But the song that Mary sings is anything but normal because the Savior in her womb is anything but normal. And it is his birth that we celebrate this morning. It's because of his life his death, and his resurrection, that we have hope, that we have joy, and that we have a song to sing as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that we have the privilege of gathering together on Christmas morning to worship your son. Thank you for providing your son. We read stories in the Old Testament about how When Abraham went up on the mountain to sacrifice Isaac and we read that story, we think of that story and we think, man, I can't believe that God would ask somebody to do something like that. And ultimately, you stopped Abraham, but you yourself were willing to give up your son years and years and years later. So, Father, thank you that we can celebrate this. Thank you that we have been purchased by the blood of your son, Jesus. 
Thank you that his body was broken on our behalf. Thank you that he wasn't just a miraculous baby. He wasn't just a good moral teacher. He wasn't just an admirable person. But that he is Lord and he is Savior. And to this very day, he is alive and he is reigning. And one day he will return. I pray that you give us patience, give us faithfulness as we wait for that second coming of Christ that will be even more celebratory than the first. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.